Hello, flight instructors and NAFI members. John Niehaus, Director of Program Development for the National Association of Flight Instructors. I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of the NAFI More Right Rudder Podcast, the podcast for flight instructors on the go. And uh, boy, are we happy that you're here. We're happy that you're listening. And uh, if you haven't already, if you could take just a moment and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen, um, certainly that helps. And if you don't mind giving us a, a little bit of a rating, um, all those additional comments and subscriptions, um, they help. So uh, we try to do this for the betterment of the flight instructor industry. Um, and, uh, and you can help us out, uh, just by doing that. So anyways, um, this episode is sponsored by Glime Aviation. Now Glime has been a large supporter of NAFI, um, and a big friend of the family for years. And, um, you'll find them on our corporate supporters page, along with a lot of other generous, uh, um, companies out there. And, uh, Glime, is kindly enough provided a discount to NAFI members. So if you're looking for an additional reason to join, or if maybe you didn't know, um, 25% off of Climb products is uh, is quite the discount for NAFI members. Um, and they also do free UPS ground shipping. So uh, if you want to take advantage of that, uh, you can just go to the member discounts page off of the, uh, the member homepage. So you got to log in first. Um, but then you can take advantage of this discount and uh, any of the other ones on that page. And there's some pretty good ones, too. So check it out. Um, now, the episode today is what we're calling At the Peak of Flight Training. Now, this was a interview I did with owner of Heisen Aviation Mountain Flying, Art Heisen. And uh, Art is a mountain flying expert and uh, he obviously owns his own company that does uh, sort of mountain flying training and mountain tours. Um, so it's it's a really cool uh, niche of the aviation training industry that he has found. And uh, it sort of kind of goes into the idea that we've been talking about for years. And that's, if you want to be successful, specialize. So that's exactly what Art has done. And uh, without further ado, let's uh, let's hear a little bit more about his story and his adventure. So at the peak of flight training, Tales of a Mountain Pilot with Art Heisen. Enjoy. Now, Art is uh, the owner and founder of Heisen Aviation, specifically Mountain Flying Adventures. He is a bronze legacy master, which means that he has earned five uh, NAFI master accreditations. He's a CFII, MEI, ATP. He was also the, or is also the most active safety counselor and uh, fast team lead rep for the Northern California area. And in 2020, he was the regional fast team rep and flight, regional flight instructor for the San Francisco region. And uh, so today, our topic is mountain flying. Art, welcome. Thank you, John. So that's uh, quite the lengthy bio. You've been doing quite a bit, uh, both as a fast team rep and as an instructor. Um, out of the things that are on there, I'm sure there's a lot more. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, um, I think if I if I go way back, um, I'm from East Central Wisconsin, 
uh, Sheboygan uh, County. And that's not quite the flatlands because we have the Kettle Moraine. And, and uh, as a kid, I was fascinated uh, with the woods and the hills and, and, and the outback. Uh, but it wasn't really until I came to California uh, in the late 1960s and early 1970s that I discovered um, the magic of the mountains that we have here in the West, and that's the Sierra Nevada and the Cascade Range. And, and I've uh, flown all over the, the country to Alaska and Northern Canada, uh, pursuing my uh, fascination with mountains, that uh, I just love mountain landscapes. And uh, we'll get into a little bit more detail later uh, about my um, getting into teaching uh, mountain flying. But it's been a passion uh, for years since I was a child in the 1960s or even 1950s in East Central Wisconsin. Yeah. So, I mean, you traded in the lowlands for the highlands and, uh, you know, I, I imagine that flight instruction is, is just a lot different uh, when you start to change those landscapes and, and, you know, the concepts are the same, but the things that you're looking for and the, and the things that might be dangerous are, are going to be significantly different, right? That is, that's correct. If you take a look at the aeronautical information uh, manual on the designation of mountainous uh, terrain in the U.S., the western uh, one-third of the country is designated mountainous uh, terrain with the exception of the Central Valley of California. And uh, I live in Sonoma County, uh, which is a isolated valley north of uh, San Francisco. And and we do fly uh, in the mountains when we do cross countries, uh, but it's not really true uh, mountain flying. So we train in the flatlands uh, and uh, we're dealing with meeting those uh, aviation completion standards now, the old PTS. So we deal so much uh, with training pilots on all levels to meet those standards. One thing goes missing. Uh, and that's the, the details that you really need to know to fly safe uh, in mountainous uh, terrain. And it's not just high uh, elevations with the density altitudes that we have in the Tahoe area, say today, of nearly 9,000 uh, feet, uh, but in all different types of terrains and landscapes uh, in the West. Yeah, so I mean, that's uh, an interesting thing, the, the definition of, of mountain flying. Um, what is what would you say to somebody who says, you know what, I just earned my my private pilot certificate. I'm from Michigan. I'm going to fly out to Colorado and nah, it's fine. I can I could do this. I, I don't I don't need to get a flight instructor for this. Like what's your what's your visceral response to something like that? Well, I would have to cite uh, my own history. Uh, and that dates back uh, to the late 1970s when, when I um, achieved my private pilot uh, license. And uh, my brother-in-law from uh, Connecticut came out. And it's always hard to talk family members into sharing expenses or friends sharing expenses when you go flying. But I talked him in to going to Lake Tahoe. I had absolutely no training or background in uh, mountain flying. And I'd learned how to fly in a Cessna 150 and 152 later on. 
and we rented a Cessna 172 XP. And some of you might remember that or know what it is. And it's 195 horsepower. Uh, to me, it was a rocket machine. Uh, so away we go, uh, John from Connecticut and myself uh, to Tahoe, uh, warm summer day like uh, today. We went into South Lake Tahoe to the High Sierra for lunch on top of one of the casinos. Not a gambler, but a good lunch on top with a view. And we headed back middle of the afternoon. Uh, they had a control tower at the time. Uh, I fueled up because I thought, well, that's what all good pilots do. You can't have enough fuel. Um, so fueled up. And I think those controllers were putting down money on whether we were going to reappear after we disappeared behind a ridge south of the Lake Tahoe airport. <laughs> uh, and, you know, we had the sense to spiral up, get out over the lake, over the cold water, and um, uh, get some altitude and fly safely uh, home. You know, th that was one of a couple of wake-up uh, calls. And, you know, I would say to those people uh, from uh, the flatlands uh, that, uh, it'd be a good idea to do a mountain flying course, uh, to do uh, training, whether or not you physically do it um, uh, is one thing, but at least get some, some uh, background training uh, in uh, the challenges of mountain flying and all of the considerations. And there's so many between, you know, the, uh, the PAVE um, acronym, you know, the pilot, you at altitude, uh, the aircraft, the environment, external pressures um, that may be on you to fly through those passes to get home when you should be on the ground. Mm -hmm. So get some, get some training. So yeah. what, what does a, a professional mountain flying course look like? Is it, is it several days? Is it a day? Like what goes into that? It varies depending upon uh, who's doing the program uh, here in, in Santa Rosa. I do an all-day uh, class, uh, a ground school, uh, and um, then I take people up on what I call flyouts, uh, where we get a group of, of pilots, and I tailor it to the pilots that are graduating from the program or who are returning to do the flyouts. And to me, uh, a flyout uh, is to fly out to a mountain uh, destination uh, in uh, the case of last May 21st uh, flyout, I took the pilots from the Sonoma County area. Sometimes we leave from uh, regional airports and we meet up en route. Uh, we're air to air. I took the pilots uh, up um, uh, through Yosemite, up the Grand Canyon of the Tuolumne River, over Tioga Pass, which the pass is at 10,000 uh, feet, uh, into um, Nevada and the east side of the Sierra Nevada, and then flying up desert terrain, uh, landing in Tahoe. Um, and we usually stop for lunch, get everybody gathered around, you know, assess the uh, last leg of the trip. And, you know, it gets to be um, a learning experience, but also an adventure. That sounds absolutely beautiful. <laughs> really pretty, I imagine. It is, you know, and that is the draw. Um, that, 
you know, brings me back as many times as I've done some of these flights, like the May 21st flight that we went over Tioga uh, Pass with a group of seven airplanes. I was in, in the lead radioing back the uh, conditions to the other uh, aircraft. As many times as I've done it, it's just a unique experience every time because conditions are never the same. Mm-hmm. And the group of pilots uh, uh, is never the same. So I know you tailor these to individuals, and certainly I I would imagine the airplane itself plays a little bit of part in this. Uh, But when you do one-on-one training through the mountains, like what are the specific types of things you're you're looking to cover? Um, You know, is there a unique maneuver that you do, or like what does that kind of thing look like? Well, it it can vary, and also depending on on the airplane. And what I focused more on was uh, stabilized approaches and analyzing uh, the terrain and and how to approach, um, say, um, uh, mountain airstrips that are on plateaus or down in deep uh, valleys, you know, all varying uh, conditions. So it's taking a look uh, at the strategy uh, for flying into places. You really need to look at the performance of the airplane and definitely density altitude uh, mm-hmm. issues, which uh, in the mountains of, of California can be a major challenge. Lake Tahoe area, which is world uh, renowned and it really is the gem of, of the Sierra, has a couple of airports uh, that are at 6,000 feet above uh, sea level. Uh, and temperatures that can reach 90 degrees uh, Fahrenheit on a summer afternoon. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I train the pilots to, regardless of the power and the performance of their airplane at uh, Truckee Tahoe uh, Airport, which is uh, near Reno, uh, I say use all almost 8,000 feet of the runway. You know, even though you may have what you think is that rocket machine, you know, do a short field takeoff uh, technique and, and uh, climb out you know, from, from the airport. And there can be density altitudes of uh, over 9,000 feet at, at places like that. And, and, you know, even airplanes that perform really well at sea level um, just don't do that well. Yeah, you know, I, I, I've flown over the mountains, but I haven't really flown sort of through them or, or really anywhere near close to them. Um, but I do remember from my, from my training days, uh, when you read about mountain flying in books and stuff like that, the, the biggest thing that they always mention is the winds, right? You know, they mm-hmm. always talk about, you know, this side of the mountain, that side of the mountain. Um, you know, is that something that you cover really heavily as well? Uh, in in extreme detail, and one of the sections in my workshop uh, for the pilots is mountain meteorology, uh, and one of the uh, main topics uh, there is how uh, the air curves around. You know the rocky uh, outcroppings. Uh, you can envision uh, a river of air like a river of water over rocks in a stream and how it creates uh, turbulence and eddies and whirlpools and, and uh, all of that. Now, I had a scheduled mountain flyout last weekend where I was taking another group uh, to one of the other Tahoe uh, airports, and I canceled it. Uh, because despite the fact we had wonderfully blue skies and smoke-free, which is really a bonus these days out here mm-hmm. in the West, uh, the winds over the ridgetops uh, were 
over 30 knots. And, and that's kind of a rule of thumb for me uh, that if the winds are over 30 knots over the ridge tops, um, I would think about postponing. And, and we, had, we had winds gusting to 24 knots uh, at um, uh, both um, Truckee and Tahoe, South Lake Tahoe Airport. So when you say winds over the ridge tops, and what makes that so dangerous? It's because uh, if you can envision, you know, what would be a good uh, analogy? Well, uh, you have this air coming off of the Pacific Ocean, uh, and uh, it's passing over San Francisco and over the Sacramento uh, Valley. And as it comes up uh, the mountains on the west side, uh, you're going from sea level in Sacramento uh, to uh, 10, 12,000 feet over 100 miles. But then on the backside, it drops off. In some cases in the Southern Sierra, it, it drops from 14,000 to 4,000 feet, 10,000 feet in only a couple of miles. Hmm. So you could imagine uh, that laminar flow of air up over the windward side of the mountain, you know, what's happening on the backside, you know, what happens when you stall that wing, <laughs> you know, the air is starting to burble uh, down the backside, you know, and you may remember the adventurer, Steve Fawcett, mm -hmm. uh, you know, mm -hmm. around the world adventure and different kinds of aircraft. And, and he met his uh, maker or demise uh, just south of, of Yosemite in a mountain wave uh, with winds uh, like we're talking about now. Uh, where uh, he was flying a super uh, decathlon, which is a high-performance uh, small uh, plane, uh, yet uh, even if he could climb at, say, uh, 1,200 feet a minute at the high-density altitude that he was at, uh, the air is spilling down at maybe 1,500 feet a minute. So he may have been at uh, VX uh, trying to outclimb the terrain, uh, but he's going down at, at 500 feet a minute and couldn't make that turn in the tight canyon that he uh, finally crashed into hmm. uh, just north of Mammoth, California and, and southeast of Yosemite. Never had a chance. No, you know, and that's it. And it's just, it's a matter of physics. You can calculate that. And that's one of the things that I do in the mountain flying classes. I have a chart uh, showing the slope angle of the mountains, the speed of the wind, and what the downdraft will be, you can calculate it. Uh, and on that particular flight, the downdraft was uh, probably over a thousand feet a minute hmm. at a high density altitude uh, location. Now, in addition to all of this, do you um, either require or provide the training yourself in terms of, you know, the, the high altitude, like oxygen type training or survival training. Does that come with mountain courses or is that something you do separately? I do an advanced mountain flying uh, class, uh, dealing with, uh, survival techniques in the basic class, uh, we touch upon, uh, survival techniques and packing, uh, emergency, um, uh, gear and an emergency uh, bag, and I have it tailored to the particular uh, environment uh, that we're flying in. And, um, you know, the survival 
um, courses, you know, can be extremely detailed. We just go over the basics in the basic program, but I do advanced uh, programs on that. To bring this back to instruction, uh, I've done a lot of interviews over the last couple of years, and I've loved each and every one of them that I've done. And and I always try to pull things away. Um, and one of the things that I really like, uh, or commonalities that I've I've noticed is that a successful instructor um, or some of the most successful instructors are the ones that specialize. Um, and of course, that's what you're doing here. You know, you're specializing in, um, you know, mountain flying and sort of teaching the, the trials and tribulations of what that actually means. Um, you know, how did you, how did you get into it? Did you have somebody who showed you the ropes or was it mostly trial and error? Like, you know, if, where does that start? Well, that's uh, hard to really pinpoint the exact uh, date, uh, but uh, you know, early on, I started uh, getting involved with helping out with the aviation safety program, the FAA safety program through the Oakland FISDO, uh, and that was as early as 1978. Uh, so I was exposed to many of the, the safety programs and some of the safety programs were on, on mountain flying and combined uh, with uh, my love of the mountains and I've backpacked uh, uh, into the mountains and all over, all over the world and not a climber, uh, but a trekker. Uh, and uh, so I got fascinated uh, with tips on mountain flying uh, from the safety uh, program brochures. They look really comical when you look at some of those brochures uh, hmm. today, uh, but that's what, what got me hooked. And uh, working with the safety program in uh, 1990, uh, I volunteered uh, because I also am a college university level meteorology teacher uh, to teach a uh, session for the Civil Air Patrol's annual mountain flying clinic in a, a very mountainous uh, part of Northern California. So I got involved uh, doing the CAP program. And then not too many years later, I started doing uh, mountain flying classes on a small scale. Uh, I started touring the San Francisco uh, Bay Area, San Jose, uh, South San Francisco, uh, Oakland, East Bay, uh, and I travel around. And this was in the old days where I'd had my overhead projector, you know, and all the all the transparencies. Oh yeah, and, you know, and we'd sometimes get you know a hundred plus people, you know, at the these programs. But you know, doing the on the road show, you know, as you'll you know um, find out from probably a lot of the people you've interviewed, is really tough. And, you know, I don't do uh, the, the touring anymore, but I do the programs online and uh, starting to uh, do them in person uh, again. Uh, so, and it keeps me up and, and current. And, you know, one of the things I have to say as for, you know, for instructors uh, is uh, if you go to the, the WINGS programs, um, you meet a lot of pilots mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, it may be a thankless thing at first, uh, but you start circulating with the pilots and you get to know all of these people. Uh, so you may be stuck uh, flying a Cessna 172 or an Archer, not that that's a bad thing, uh, but 
you might run into a guy, you know, that has that, you know, uh, latest uh, Mooney or like a really nice uh, Bonanza or the Velocity or the RV7 um, fella that, you know, I'm doing an IP, an extended IPC with, you know, all of those people uh, I've met through doing classes, uh, volunteering. I do talks to the EAA, uh, uh, Chapter 124 over here, and talk to them about um, you know, flying to Alaska, uh, flying to British Columbia, and it's fascinating uh, to them. And then they get with me and say, well, maybe you can show me some of those techniques. Right. Say, well, let's hop in your airplane. And let's go up to 10,000 feet um, over the airport and see how it works. <laughs> so it's, you know, getting involved in there, do a lot of volunteer work, you know, not getting paid for it, but uh, indirectly um, in the end, um, you're uh, getting paid for uh, flying in really fun airplanes as well as doing something you might enjoy. You know, the same thing could be said for an aerobatic uh, uh, instructor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what I'm, what I'm hearing you say is if I wanted to become a mountain flying instructor, someone who specializes in that wants to, you know, maybe create a business doing mm-hmm. someone, something similar to what you're doing, uh, what you're recommending is, um, certainly you've got to go out there and do it, but you got to make sure that you know what you're doing. So take the courses yourself first, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but then a lot of it becomes sort of networking and sort of picking people's brains and sort of understanding, you know, what works and what doesn't work from people that have been out there and, and, and have done it and then create sort of a, a, um, you know, brand a lesson planned or a syllabus yeah. brand name, um, of, of how you intend to do that. Is that, is that sort of summing things up a little bit? That's an excellent synopsis of, you know, what I've done and, you know, what would what works now art as we wind this down um for somebody who's looking to uh, to get into doing you know what you're doing or or um even on a smaller scale just maybe they are moving out west and they want to continue to to flight instruct you know what what would be your best piece of advice for somebody who's who's sort of dipping their toe into this environment well i would talk to the locals um and you know always you know, try to get as much information uh, in the new region that you're flying in, uh, or if you're flying out uh, to a mountain uh, destination, you know, gather as much information as, as possible. You know, try to talk to somebody who's uh, been there uh, before. Uh, when you uh, are moving to a particular uh, area, uh, just bring up the subject uh, with instructors, with pilots. Uh, work yourself, you know, into, um, you know, the local knowledge, you know, the little tricks of the trade uh, that, you know, just don't come out of a textbook. Mm-hmm. Um, that that would be, you know, my recommendation. And then, um, you know, you can, you know, build, you know, clients or if you have students and they've graduated and they've achieved certain different certificates, say, you know, you know, for your own safety and for actually uh, for having a lot more fun flying safely, uh, you know, let's go up to Telluride or, you know, wherever um, you might be in in Colorado uh, or Lost Creek in Montana. 
or the Bob Marshall Wilderness area, um, you know, some of those uh, areas. And uh, try to get information from people that have been there uh, before uh, and play it safe um, and, you know, build up your own experience. I think that's great advice. Yeah. Uh, Art, any final thoughts? Well, you know, I would say, um, what is one of the last slides I have on my, on my workshop is uh, it's a scene from, from uh, the Prince William Sound uh, in uh, Southern Alaska, looking up at Mount um, McKinley or in, in Denali National Park, which has a mountain of uh, 23,020 uh, feet high, Snowcrest uh, Ridge, and we're 100 miles away, and it's a perfectly uh, clear day. And the title I have on the bottom of it is Go For It. <laughs> yeah, but go for it safely. I like uh, that. Yeah. I like that. Um, so finally, does Mountain Flying Adventures have a website? What would, uh, where can it, people go to get more does. information? Uh, it's uh, www.mountainflyingtraining, one word, mountainflyingtraining.com. Well, Art, it sounds like you have had some amazing adventures. Um, and uh, when people talk about well, why why be a pilot, more specifically, why be an instructor, um, you know, the, the adventures that, that you have had through the course of your career, I, I can only dream of in some cases, I think. Um, and, and that's huge. It's being a flight instructor is not always just trips around the pattern. It, it is what you make of it. And it sounds to me like you've made a, a pretty amazing experience out of it. And so with that, folks, I, I want to thank Art for uh, joining us here in the NAFI briefing room today. And uh, in his words, go for it. All right. <laughs> thank you, John. <laughs>